This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, not a pod for those of you who desperately ask us not to talk about VAR and refereeing decisions. Mikel Arteta is embarrassed and feels sick to be a part of this. Arsenal send an official statement saying that everyone at the Emirates is also sick and embarrassed. Has he got a point or is this just some classic deflecting? Would it be a better use of his time to tell David Rea where to stand when someone hoys it into the box? Anyway, Newcastle win a scrappy game, some result given their injuries. Elsewhere, Luton and Baz are oh so close, almost a wonderful upset, but you can't begrudge Luis Diaz saving the Reds from defeat. Ollie Norwood goes full pressman in injury time and Sheffield United win their first game. Is the real conspiracy against Gary O'Neill. There's Jeremy Doku giving Manchester City the extra attacking threat we all thought they needed. Forrest upsetting Villa, Neil Mopé scoring and Manchester United just about winning. Also today, Emma Hayes says she's leaving Chelsea at the end of the season. There's some FA Cup first round heroics from Chesterfield amongst others. The Copa Libertadores more Gary Bertel's correspondence than we were expecting. Your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, welcome. Morning mate. Hello Barry Glendenning. Hello Max Rushford. And hello Jonathan Wilson. Morning, how you doing? Uh, very good, thanks. So uh, let's start then at St. James's Park. Uh, Ian says, to aid Arteta and anyone else who can't work out basic things like perspective, should footballs be cubes instead of spheres? Personally, I'm against it. Keep up the good work. He says, uh, lost in a supermarket, says, are we to label those that deny the curvature of the ball flat ballers? And can we expect a statement on their behalf from David Icke? Um, uh, Chris says, please, Please, please don't spend a third of Monday's pod talking about refereeing decisions from Newcastle Arsenal. Please talk about the actual football. Please, honestly, referees are getting so much shit now, not just in an emotional post-match interviews, but in official club statements. Well done, Arsenal. That I wouldn't blame them if they just downed tools. Um, I don't really disagree with that, Barry, but I also don't see how it's possible not to talk about the biggest moment of the weekend. Yeah, and I'd love to talk about the football, but the football wasn't actually that good in this game. I think... Neither team played particularly well. A draw probably would have been fair. Newcastle probably considered themselves a bit lucky to have got the points, but uh, I wouldn't begrudge them them. And the most entertaining parts of the game were that contentious refereeing decision, the goal being allowed, and uh, the bad-tempered niggle during the game where we could have had and probably should have had two red cards. But yeah, you you can't avoid the the goal and Mikel Arteta's reaction, the club's I think embarrassing reaction, and the the rage being felt by Arsenal fans who would almost certainly be similarly angry if they had scored an identical goal and it was ruled out. And for what it's worth, was the ball out of play? We don't know. Was it a push in the back? of uh, Gabrielle by Joe Linton. I think so, but it's a matter of opinion and mine doesn't count. And was Anthony Gordon offside? We don't know. So I'm not sure what all the fuss is about. And Arsenal then put out this club statement yesterday, which I read several times and find a little baffling. They purport to, you know, to be delighted to be in the best league in the world, a league they were only too happy to abandon with several other clubs <laughs> and, and abandon and potentially ruin uh, not so long ago when they wanted to form a Super League. So 
they're kind of talking out of both sides of their mouths. But um, I'm sure Arsenal fans will, will disagree with me completely. But that that is my take on the, on the matter. Well, Jordan is an Arsenal fan. Um, should we start with the incidents then, Jordan? Um, I, I think I agree with Barry on all of those. We don't know if the ball is out of play. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks <laughs> like it might be, but we can't see the right angle. We don't know about the offside. The foul is probably a foul. I, I agree with Barry as well. I, I think Mikel Arteta has gone, gone big and gone early on this one. I think his outrage post-match just wasn't proportionate to actually what happened on the on the field of play. All three of the elements of which I think he's irate about, as Barry's explained, weren't conclusive. I'm not so sure it was definitely a foul. It probably was, but I don't think it was like a, a stinker. The offside is ridiculously close. And I don't know if the ball was out or not. So I, I, I don't understand why he's gone so hard so early. And and the club statement as an Arsenal fan for me, I, I wouldn't say it was embarrassing, but it was a bit disappointing because, again, of, of all the things that you could issue a statement about, I just felt this really wasn't the one, this, this wasn't the incident to do that for. I mean, the Brentford goal last year where they actually forgot to use the equipment to do their job. <laughs> I feel like that's the time that you put out a club, a club statement. So I, I just felt that his his ire and his rage in that interview and press and press conference just wasn't proportionate to what actually happened on, on the field of play. And I think actually, if you look from a footballing perspective, the, the thing that I was most upset about was David Rea. The two things we were both, we were, we were told that he was brilliant at was distribution and collecting crosses. And I think in recent games, distribution has been a bit shaky. And what, what from that cross, what's he doing? So I, I, I would love to defend Arsenal in this instance, but I, I just think they've, like I said, they've gone, they've gone too big, too early for something I think they could have saved in their back pocket. I think what they should have done was, with the other 19 Premier League clubs just all linked up and said, hang on a minute, this we, we need change here now. As a collective, we're all not happy because we're all getting fucked over now week by week. So why don't we all as a group come together and say, we as the Premier League, we want change rather than this individual trying to get one up. And finally as well, he looks a bit silly because about five weeks ago, there was a similar incident that went for him and he was quoted as saying, referees make mistakes, they're human beings, we need to work with them, let's not lambast them. And now he's doing exactly what he said he wouldn't do. Yeah, that was October the 6th, which I think was actually all the managers in press conferences after the Spurs-Liverpool incident where he said they're trying to make the, the best decisions, we need to understand that mistakes happen, we all make mistakes, which is slightly different to embarrassing it's an absolute disgrace that's what it is a disgrace there's so much at stake you cannot imagine the amount of messages we've had saying this cannot continue it's embarrassing I don't know how to feel I don't want to be in the hands of these people I'm wasting my time we are wasting our time I've been in this country more than 20 years and it's nowhere near the level of the best feel league in the world I feel sick to be a part of this I feel sick it's not a goal it's not a goal is there a point Wilson in the fact that there is so much money in the Premier League that that at Premier League grounds, we should have the technology to see if a ball is out of play and we should, whatever happens with an offside, be able to have some lines. I think there's definitely a a case for semi-automated offside. I don't really understand why that hasn't been brought in quite apart from anything else to speed up the process. But are we really saying that you're going to spend whatever it costs to have goal line technology for every line on the pitch I mean it's just nonsense you know just defend the cross it's it's you know say say that ball had been a millimetre out do Arsenal deserve a point because of that it's, it's just ridiculous get on with it I'd, I'd go harder than, than either Barry or Jordan I, I'm pretty confident that ball's in play I can't obviously I can't say 100% 
But a gut instinct is it's it's in because you can see a tiny sliver of grass, but it's a tiny sliver. And yeah, we had the whole thing with uh, the Japan goal in the World Cup where we saw thousands of these TikTok videos of, I think it's the only thing I've watched on TikTok, um, <laughs> of, you know, uh, you know showing a, a ball next to a line and then, you know, the camera above. But uh, the idea that, that kind of, it all comes down to that one blade of grass. Yeah. You know, what if Kai Havertz has been sent off as he should have been? Yes. <laughs> it's yes. a far bigger issue. Yes. But Arsenal's lack of creativity, which is not just this game, has been a sort of recurring thing this season. I mean, Saka's had one shot in his last three games, I think. Mm. That's a much bigger issue than, than this marginal call, whether the ball's gone out or not. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I kind of... The, the problem is, as well, it's, that since VAR came in, there's all this sort of conspiracy talk. Now, Arteta, I don't think he ever actually questioned the integrity of officiating. But it, there's no doubt that the tone of his comments whips up that hysteria, which is incredibly damaging for the integrity of the league. And again, it's not it's not just Arsenal; it's the common thing across a lot of clubs. And it's just nonsense, you know. It's and all you know. Oh, the referee is not good enough. What, what what are you going to do? Where are you going to find better referees? I tell you what. Why don't we slag off all the referees? Why don't we make their jobs really miserable? Why don't we say, yeah, you're awful. You're ruining football. I'm not going to talk to you ever again. So you demoralise this bunch, you break their confidence, and then, you know, if you're a 16-year-old who kind of thinks, yeah, I think I might be quite, quite good at this being a referee, like, are you going to carry on and do that as a job? Of course you're not. It's, you know, how have the wells been poisoned? It, it comes from the whole, everybody in football. Yeah, um, the Arsenal statement, which began, I really liked how it began, saying Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments. It's like every club could just do that about every manager every time any manager says anything uh, after yet more ex- unacceptable refereeing and VAR errors on Saturday evening, which factually isn't necessarily correct. Uh, we'd also like to acknowledge the huge effort and performance from our players and travelling supporters at St. James's Park. Just a needless sentence. The Premier League is the best league in the world with the best players, coaches and supporters, all of whom deserve better. PGMOL urgently needs to address the standard of officiating and focus on action, which moves us all on from retrospective analysis, which is seems to be what you're doing now. Attempted explanations and apologies. We support the ongoing efforts of Chief Refereeing Officer Howard Webb and would welcome working together to achieve the world-class officiating standards our league demands. I mean, I'm, I agree with you, Barry. It doesn't see any point. I don't see any point in this at all. No, uh, it's just a statement that's not saying anything. And it's inaccurate as well. But when it was posted on Twitter, you've got all these gooners going, my club, love heart. And, you know, they're they're fully supporting their club fully supporting Arteta over this nonsense. And it all it does is fuel conspiracy theories and, and add to the pile on, on referees who are already struggling to do a very difficult job. And in, in this particular instance, like in general, VAR is a mess, but in this particular incident, I'm not sure the, I'm not sure the ref did anything wrong or the, the officials did anything wrong. Yeah, and the problem as well with this this sort of culture we now have of blaming referees, Anthony Taylor, who we, we've now learned is one of the big two referees, we learned that last week, that he and Michael Oller are the, are the, the big two. Which game did he do at the weekend? He did Preston v Coventry because he was being punished for giving Newcastle a penalty at Wolves the previous week. A decision that, you know, when you look at it from his angle, 
it looks like a penalty. It's if there's a failure at all, it's well there is a failure. But the failure is vast failure. It's not his. And so we take one of our best two referees and we literally send them to Coventry. <laughs> we, we, literally, we, literally, we literally send them to Preston to do a Coventry game. Right. Just, we, we send them to wherever Coventry are. Um, Jordan, you wanted to come in and then... Yeah, just briefly add as well that the fact that... I think, first of all, Wilson's correct to mention the fact that the thing that Arteta didn't mention conveniently was the blatant Havertz red card. I mean, it was a debate of the weekend. I'm like, how is that even a debate? It's a clean red card. But also, if you're going to go crazy in that post-match press conference, do it over the forearm that Gimaresh did towards to Georgina. That's what you That's what you should be going crazy about. I'm, I'm, I've got a theory about what we as the media and fans do bashing referees every single week. I would like it for, for four weekends if we just, if nobody spoke about referees, just banned it for four weeks. And if we saw if it had an improvement on referees, I've just got this really weird theory that we're contributing to the, the, the standard dropping of referees by every single week scrutinising. Even if it was a bad call, we don't talk about it on TalkSport, on Sky Sports, on Match of the Day, on the Guardian Football Weekly. We just don't mention them and see if there's an uptake or upturn in, in the standard of refereeing. So I think there would be. Can I just say though, if we are going to do that, we can't tell referees because otherwise, like... <laughs> <laughs> just hope that they're all there'll be a lot, of, yeah. a lot of scores being settled in that four yeah, weeks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, I think you've all sort of touched on it as well, and I, I think Barry, that that thing about David Raya is really interesting. That feels like the third goal, right? There was Mudrick against Chelsea. There was the Tottenham goal where there was a bit more football after he was in the wrong place for a cross, flapped today, and then it came back out, and Son eventually scored. And that is a big problem for someone you've brought in and suppose you're number one. Like that's, I don't know how many points, six points, one point, like five points. I don't know how many points I've worked out. But when you're trying to get win the title, it's a big issue. It is a problem for Arteta because Rhea seems to be very much his signing. He He wanted Rhea for a long time and people were puzzled as to what Aaron Ramsdale had done wrong when he was brought... Rhea was brought in and then replaced him. And Rhea hasn't covered himself in glory, but it will be difficult for Mikel Arteta to drop him without losing a huge amount of face because he's backed him so strongly. We talk about officials making mistakes, you know, in when that goal was scored, Ben White made a mistake, Gabriel made a mistake, David Rhea made a mistake. His was the most egregious error of anyone's. And uh, it it is turning into a problem for Arteta, as many predicted it might. I suppose they could drop uh, David Raya, and then before kickoff, Arsenal could release a statement saying they agree with Mikel Arteta's <laughs> decision to drop David Raya. Look, Newcastle were good in this game. I don't. I agree with Barry actually, Wilson. That neither team was great, but given that the injuries that Newcastle have and that sort of fatigue that we thought they had after the Dortmund game and the Wolves game, they really were at it. I thought in this game, yeah, they were. I mean, they they doubled up on on Saka Martinelli, who who had very little impact on the game, but just a general sort of aggression and work rate, getting men behind the ball. Yeah, they they were they were hugely impressive. I I, I think he, you know even without the caveat about the injuries, I I just sort of think the the way Eddie Howe wants to play, um, he seems quite happy against bigger sides or the you know the the, the, the top sort of five or six to to play that quite reactive football. And yeah, it, it worked. It worked really well. So I, I think you have to give him a lot of credit for that. And I, th- I think from an Arsenal point of view, that Saka looks tired. And I think that's a big worry for them. Mm. I mean, it is the first defeat 
in the league this season. It's the first game in all competitions where they haven't scored. So it's it's not a crisis yet, is it? To Kenilworth Road, Barry. Uh, Luton won, Liverpool won. George says, as Barry correctly predicted that Liverpool would struggle at Kenilworth Road, should we be referring to him as the greatest footballing mind since Sam Allardyce? Or that <laughs> octopus that predicted Spain winning the 2010 World Cup? Does Bastradamus have next week's lottery numbers? Asked <laughs> That's interesting. Producer Silas was saying during this game, I think everyone watching this game who listens to the pod was just thinking of you, Barry. As when when uh, when when Luton took the lead and when we thought, oh, they might hang on. Yeah, I think if they had hung on, I might have had to announce my retirement today because I, it would have been my Sistine Chapel uh, regarding predictions. But um, you know, stop clocks and and blind squirrels, etc. It was a brilliant performance by Luton. The match could have got away for them, but for the wayward finishing of Liverpool in general and. Darwin Nunes in particular, but Luton stayed in the game. They they posed Liverpool problems before they scored. Uh, you know they weren't just sitting back and parking the bus. They were re- really good on the counter. Uh, Ross Barkley, one of the best performances I've ever seen him put in. Issa Kabore, Chidozi Ogbene, and our Andros Townsend Senior, as he is now. Which I wonder what made that makes Troy. Super geriatric <laughs> old man, but yeah, a brilliant uh, performance by Luton. Their their goal, their counter attack goal, was classic counter attack goal. Every you know couldn't have gone better, and it's kind of a shame they couldn't hang on. But uh, I don't think anyone's going to begrudge Luis Diaz that equaliser, given the the stress he must be under, and both sides will probably be disappointed with the result but I I, I really wanted Luton to hang on hmm. um, that, that the goal was Liverpool's 24th attempt in the game but the first 23 Wilson were all missed by Darwin Nunes um, <laughs> he's amazing isn't he that goal he scored in the Carabao Cup was brilliant he's capable of brilliance that volley where he the control for the volley that hits the bar is amazing and then the volley miss sitter is ludicrous yeah, that volley miss. I think he was offside for anyway, wasn't he? But but yeah, he he's he's a just a fascinating player to watch because he's capable of brilliance and he's capable of being brilliantly awful in in you know in the space of fifteen seconds, and that's that's great. It makes him a lot of fun. Does it make him a title winning centre forward? Well, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, you know, he 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 got them the points at Newcastle earlier this season. He you know, he, he you know what he brings, and well, you you know what he brings as in. You have no idea what he brings, but you know that you don't know what he brings, as Donald Rumsfeld once said. He's much better when he doesn't have time, when when it's instinctive. Yeah, I think he's a great volume of the ball. Uh, I mean, I, I, okay, he did miss that volley, but yeah, he's just a, a, a fascinating football. And you sort of wonder which way it'll go, whether he degenerates into never scoring any of those or whether he, he irons out mistakes and becomes a 30-other season man. Or, or maybe he just keeps on going being... This, this this weird bundle of contradictions and gets 20 in the season and half the fans think he's brilliant and half the fans think he's terrible and both yeah. are right. Yes, and, and and but it doesn't seem to phase him missing chances, which is sort of lucky, I think, for him. I look, the, the, the thing here for, for Liverpool, Jordan, is you, if you want to win the title, you can't drop points at Luton. No, that is, that is, that is very, very true. Um, and they came very, very close to that. I thought... Um, in this game, we all know it already, but Alex, Trent Alexander-Arnold, some of his deliveries and passes in that first half were just were just insane. He, he was just stroking the ball around, 
you know, some of these crosses that were just a joy to watch. I don't know how Diaz actually, sorry, Diaz, um, Nunes missed that open goal. Like, if some open goal misses where you're like, I can kind of see how you missed that one, but I don't know how he, I don't know how he managed to not hit the target from, from where he was. But yeah, the Diaz got the end. It was also a very good header because it's not, it's not an easy header to, to do. He's got to loop it and stoop a little bit and, and they will take their point and run. I think from a looting perspective, I think we all wanted them to win that game, but I just fear that they will look back in a few weeks' time and if we just hung on, although they'll be like, yeah, disappointing against Liverpool, we played well. I think when they really, when they wake up today, they'll be thinking we had to hang on for six more minutes or whatever it was. We, we, you know, we, we could regret that. Mm, I mean, on Luis Diaz, football is a great escape for lots of people and Lord only knows what he is going through and what he, how he is feeling and maybe playing and being in a dressing room is exactly what he needs in this difficult time. He had a T-shirt on underneath that said, uh, Libertad para papa, freedom for dad, um, as his dad is still being held. Uh, hostage uh, back in Colombia. And of course, we send our best wishes to, to Luis Diaz. Uh, before part two, let's do Sheffield United's first win of the season then over Wolves. Ollie Norwood's penalty, Baz. Absolutely. I mean, it's rare that a penalty can give you so much joy, but that was amazing. Yeah, he, he fairly whacked it all, right? As you said in the intro, Pressman-esque. And that's a big, big win for, for Sheffield United against a... A weird Wolves team who've who've beaten City, drawn with Villa, Newcastle, uh, drawn with Luton, and now drawn with Sheffield United. So you you never really know what you're going to get with Wolves. I think they can once again, and certainly not for the first, second or third time this season, consider themselves unfortunate because I don't think uh, Fabio Silva's challenge and George Baldock was a foul. He pulled out of it. and so Sheffield United were lucky to get the penalty. They're probably due a bit of luck. And uh, I thought at first Ollie Nor was going to blast it out of Bramall Lane, but <laughs> it found the top corner. So what the net strike. held on. The net just about <laughs> held on, didn't it? Simon says, as a Bournemouth fan, I was getting very paranoid last season because every VAR decision seemed to go against us. Not a single penalty was given to us either. Now I realise the vendetta was actually against our manager, Gary O'Neill. And it seems to be getting more obvious every week. Gary O'Neill said he sat in the referee's room looking at the incident with the ref, repeatedly disagreeing about whether it was a foul or not, which is a, a scene in a sitcom I'd like to see, Wilson. Someone going, there, yeah, it's a foul. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. And he, he did say last week he wasn't going to talk to refs anymore. So he went against that. But he's really unlucky. You know, two centre-forwards giving away penalties that aren't penalties late on to cost them points. Yeah, I, I don't really know how a ref can look at a video. Of that. I, like, I can see why a ref would give it in real time. I get that. Although he, I think even then, given Baldock's reaction, yeah, Baldock doesn't appeal at all. Yeah, I mean, I think was it Danny Murphy on Match of the Day suggesting he died? It's not a dive; he just puts his foot in the you know behind the ball, and then slightly loses his footing. Is is a little bit of pressure behind him, and yeah, but he's not appealing at all. He's he's back on his feet and trying to turn. I mean, it's just not a foul, is it? So I don't know how you can look at the video of that and say it is. I, I think that's that's very concerning. Mm. Cameron Archer's goal. As Seb says, is that the most satisfying goal in football? Something wonderful about a ball smashing into the underside of the crossbar, bouncing back up into the roof of the net. Um, of course, I would say Tony Yeboah. I don't know, Wilson, if you have any advances on who is the go-to off the bar, bouncing down, bouncing up again. 
Yeah, well, you bow against Wimbledon. Uh, do you mean the Wimbledon one or the Liverpool one? No, I think Liverpool is the off the bar. Oh, I think I prefer... No, the Wimbledon one's off the bar as well. They both... It's not a volley. They both they're, are, yeah. They're both off the bar, yeah. I think I prefer the Wimbledon one. The problem is the net at Sellers Park. It's, yeah, it's a bad, bad net. Yeah, whereas so the Ellen Road net is a great net. Yeah. At that time. <laughs> no, I, I go you bow at Wimbledon. Hamas Rodriguez, producer side says in the World Cup. I was at, well, I was at that... Did I hit the bar? Don't, I mean, I was at that game. I, 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 watched, I, I saw it live, but I don't... don't it did. Silas has just checked it? breaking news. No, That's what he did. does. Yeah, I, 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 I can YouTube. confirm as well, he did. did. <laughs> well, Lewis anyway. Stonk had one that was disallowed this, this oh, weekend as yeah. well, didn't he? A volley off the crossbar. That was nice. Darren Anderton, that was also Ellen Road, wasn't it, against Sweden? Did it hit both posts on the bar? Yeah, both posts. I don't think it hit the bar. I was at a Sunderland game against Fulham at Craven Cottage where Kieran Richardson hit both posts on the crossbar with a free kick. That was great, was. yeah. Anyway, that'll do for part one. Well done, Sheffield United. Part two will begin at the Etihad. Wir präsentieren die neue Wörteruhr, Teil der Diesel Metamorph Kollektion. Konzipiert mit Virtual Reality Technologie, um ein einzigartig organisches und futuristisches Erscheinungsbild zu schaffen. Mit einem Armbanddesign, inspiriert von Reptilienwirbeln, einschließlich eines Gehäuses aus silberfarbenem Edelstahl. Zusätzlich können Sie exklusive NFTs für Ihre Sammlung freischalten, die Ihnen den Zugang zu einer virtuellen Welt ermöglichen. Besuchen Sie de.diesel.com, um die Metamorph-Kollektion zu entdecken. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Charlie says, if you go the whole episode without mentioning VAR, I'll buy a live show ticket, then get drunk and buy another one. Um, look, a week today, we're playing <laughs> the Troxy in London. There are some tickets available. Go to theguardian.com slash FWTour23. It's very easy to get to, just in case you haven't heard of it, and that is what's stopping you. Come along. Me, Ellis, Troy, Philippe, and Baz, and then few tickets uh, still available in Manchester on Wednesday the 15th. Uh, me, Baz, John Bruin, Nader Manuha and the Willam Win anecdote. Uh, both Jordan's gig in Bristol and Wilson's, both of them in Dublin, are sold out. But the live stream on the 22nd with Johnny Lou and Nicky Bandini uh, is obviously not sold out. It will never sell out. Not a possibility. Um, so uh, come along, watch it from wherever you are in the world. I was at the socially distant sports bar live in the Clapham Grand on Saturday and Ellis, uh, for reasons I won't explain, took his shirt off. He's incredibly hench and buff and ripped. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, have him down. I had him down as a bit of a weed. Yeah, me too. I was astonished and slightly upset uh, because I'm not astonishingly buff, hench and ripped. But... Um, if if you buy a ticket for Monday, we, we will get Ellis to take his shirt off. I don't know. We're not that kind of... Well, I mean, I guess if it sells some tickets, absolutely fine. Um, to the Etihad, Manchester City, I just don't know if that is going to get people to come. Is it <laughs> Ellis James topless? And does he know? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Um, I, I was just astonished with what I saw because I really wasn't expecting it. Six-pack the works. Wow. God, yeah. that takes a lot of effort. I'm, I, in many ways, I've judged him a little bit. Um, 
If I told you about the mentality I have. Yes, uh, you have. Andrew says, was Guardiola right? Were Bournemouth so, so good? Yeah, another one of how brave. <laughs> those brave boys opening up and letting us play through them. Man City 6, Bournemouth 1. Uh, the Jeremy Doku show, Jordan. Four assists and a goal. Bit of a letdown. He wasn't involved in the sixth, really. Yeah, no, he's um, he, he, this was the, the Doku show. He's looking like he's going to be a top, top, top Premier League player. Very exciting as well. Feel like he's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, I feel like he's channeling the inner Okocha. He's got a similar body type, really quick feet. He's got a quick shot um off the off the bat. Didn't, didn't Okocha play at sort of like two miles an hour? And it feels like Doku plays at hundred miles an hour. I mean, I, maybe I'm misremembering JJ. Cox's no, that's that, 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 that's fair. But I think the similarity is is one. I think got, the body type is similar, but also he can go from static to just like 100 miles an hour in like 0.4 seconds. And I, I think Kocha had that kind of ability to kind of go from nothing to a burst a, 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 as well. Um, yeah, he, he he was he was dominant. He was definitely in the mood. But I think the best goal of the whole weekend was David Silva's David Silva, Bernardo Silva's goal. I think it was the fifth goal. I loved his goal. He, just, he kind of just glided through a couple of players and just like kind of dinked it um, past the goalkeeper. So um, yeah, I mean, this was always going to be um, a, a battery for Bournemouth, and, and indeed that's how it that's how it ended up. It, what takes away from the Bernardo Silva goal is that someone hooked it off the line, so they had to wait. Like for the beauty of a dink, you have to see it hit the back of the net. I think I mean that was set up by Docker as well. One of seven players. Joining seven other players to get four assists in a game, four Arsenal players, two Tottenham and one Man United. But anybody like a guess in this quiz? Henri. Ozil? No. Oh. No. Fabregas? Yes. Bergkamp, Reyes, Fabregas, Cazorla are the Arsenals. The Tottenham's are Harry Kane and Emmanuel Adebayor uh, and Paul Pogba for Man United. Um, Man, United, Man City have won 22 consecutive home games in all competitions. The highest longest run in history by an English top flight side behind who, Wilson? Sunderland had a very good home record in the 1890s. Yes, there you go. Sunderland, a 24-game streak from Sunderland between December 1890 and April 1892. I'm I mean, delighted I don't, that you got I that right. I don't want to diminish that record, but it, Sunderland was a fucking long way in the 1890s. <laughs> that's fair enough Erling Haaland went off at half time but you know it, it wasn't a problem we, how, how worried about Bournemouth are you Baz? personally I'm not couldn't care less because <laughs> just, but if I was a Bournemouth fan I would be very worried um, I mean not many teams have a good record against Man City but Bournemouth get absolutely trashed by them on a regular basis going back to the days of Eddie Howe I read somewhere the average aggregate score over 13 or 14 games is something like 44-7. So it was no surprise they got tonked. And I'd be interested to know what Jack Grealish made of that game because uh, Jeremy Doku, obviously, and he are are in the same position. And uh, (laughs) Doku's looking like he might make it his own. And... Uh, Jack, through no fault of his own, could find himself spending quite a lot of time on the bench. But obviously, they will have a lot of games to play, so he will get game time. But I think that's actually a really serious point about Grealish that you know, Grealish was never allowed at City to do what Doc is doing. As soon as he as soon as he arrived, Guardiola had him just sort of began reprogramming him into somebody who gave him control. And I I think Grealish must be looking at Doc and thinking, well, hang on, why? Why is he not being reprogrammed? Why did I have to dismantle my game and start again? And and maybe that will happen. 
Yeah, I think it's it's telling that in the Manchester derby, it was agreed that she started, not Doku. And if you look at the stats, um, teams attack City down the City left much more this season than they did last season. And I think that's because Doku doesn't protect his fullback in the way that Grealish did, does. I like the, the dystopian movie of the reprogramming of Jack Grealish while Jeremy Doku is sort of running free. Um, anyway, to the City ground, Forest 2, Villa 0. Villa um, uh, could have gone third if they'd won this game. And actually, my favourite goal of the weekend, Barry, was Forest opener. Uh, from uh, Ola Aina. I mean, I, it was just such a brilliant, a lovely move. It slowed down a bit, but that finish is so perfect. Yeah, um, Harry Toffolo with, with one of two pullbacks to set up goals and Aina just beautifully plays side foot into the corner and he's not a regular goal scorer. I think that's his first for, for Forrest. I, I wouldn't have it as my favourite of the weekend, but uh, it was certainly a good strike. Mm. And were you impressed with Forrest? Oh, very, yes. Aston Villa's home form we know is great, but they, they barely laid a glove on Forrest yesterday. Ollie Watkins was kept on a, kept very quiet. And Forrest didn't give, they sat quite deep. They didn't give Aston Villa any room to work in. And I thought Villa were uncharacteristically slow and ponderous. And I think it was pointed out in match of the day that that really high defensive line they were playing that, they got caught out a few times, uh, noticeably for the second goal. And it was a bit, just a bad day at the office for them. I think, you know, not, not enough players stepped up and performed, but I wouldn't worry too much about it. And if you win best goalkeeper in the world, Jordan, not you personally, but Emmy Martinez, that's not, it's not the weekend to do that. No. It's, a really, it's, a, it's a really bad bit of goalkeeping, that, isn't it? I, I don't know what he, what he did. I don't know what part of, his hand, the ball was touched to kind of go up and then get the backspin it got to then go in the goal. So it, it 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 was it was bizarre and yeah, the timing the timing was was comical but not ideal uh, for 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 him. Uh, Declan says, "Am I the only one who feels compelled to say and pliers every time Odysseus Vlakadimos's name is mentioned?" <laughs> the first uh, keeper also delighted that. Of the people on the Zoom call, Jonathan Wilson absolutely had no idea. Well, all I know about this is John Brewer made the same joke yesterday and I didn't understand it then either. <laughs> anyway, really, really important win for Forrest, that. Um, uh, also good win for Brentford, Wilson, uh, 3-2 over West Ham. Jamie says, time for some respect on Neil Mopé's name after his goal on Saturday. Popular figure of fun. For those that love much repeated stats, reality is his link-up play has been a big part of Brentford's three wins in a row. Now he's got his goal to add to his two assists. He would have had a goal against Burnley too, but for a dubious offside call. Sorry it didn't work out for him at Everton, but he looks delighted to be playing for us. We're happy to have him back. Fully expect us to take up the option to buy if it is not prohibitive. I mean, it's a slightly generous interpretation of the 15 minutes he played at Chelsea, having come off the bench. But I mean, the, the broader point is... Is fine. Is you know, is correct. He looks a different player back at Brentford, and you know, he did have a season at Brentford. I mean, okay, in the Championship where he got was it twenty twenty five goals, I think. So he's obviously happy there. Footballers like that who they're clearly not as bad as the stat that's repeated makes them look, or even as their naked panic every time they get a chance makes them look. So it's 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 nice to see him back somewhere where he feels comfortable playing proper football again. And Brentford, you know, 
three games ago, we were sort of thinking, oh, you know, is, is the Ivan Tony issue going to going to affect them? Could the could they have run out of a bit of steam? And suddenly they've won three in a row and they're, they're fine again. So from the highlights, it's looked a really, really good game. Um, I very yeah. much enjoyed the highlights. There was a, there was a great moment on uh, uh, Soccer Saturday when it was pointed out to Paul, Paul Merson was doing games, pointed out to Paul Merson that Mope hadn't scored since 2019. He went, well, I scored in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I love Paul Merson. Um, look, fine margin this game. Kudus' goal is brilliant, Barry, but that Antonio miss is oh. something else. Yeah, I, I would say the Kudus goal was probably my favourite of the weekend. But we we, we criticised Darwin Nunes for his miss at Luton, but uh, I think the Ben Rama Antonio miss, collective miss, was, was worse. I would point my big finger of blame at Mikel Antonio. Antonio, the ball was heading straight for Ben Rama and he kind of took it off his toe. I think uh, even including Ben Rama in the miss is slightly unfair. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> he, he was just there ready to sweep it home. He had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And then um, Michel Antonio's fury afterwards, <laughs> as, if, as if to suggest, yeah, what, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> when it was all his fault. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked that. But this was a really entertaining game but West Ham's defending was absolutely abysmal uh, David Moyes called a keystone cops defending afterwards and I think that's putting it kindly brilliant header by Nathan Collins but you know he's completely unmarked and towers above two defenders to nod home or thump the ball home yeah we did have a tweet about this and I think Ian Danter that talks about um, uh, uh, our colleague said it as well we need a more modern reference than keystone cops even i don't know what keystone cops is i know what i know what keystone cops defending is but i don't think i've ever seen keystone cops i used to be on this at mark curry's movie club on a saturday morning i in the 80s that's that's where i know it from. that was great you got um like the lone ranger uh i'd have a bar highland toffee and watch that it was, I, I think it's probably the last time i was truly happy um, <laughs> I, 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 I was just, I'm just looking it up and hang on in 1935 director Ralph Staub staged a revival of the Keystone wow. Cops wow, so he brought it back it, it appears that 1915 was the last one wow I mean surely even David Moyes isn't old enough to see that this <laughs> I'm not sure this is helping with modern references for, for Keystone Cops to Benny. Anyway, do let us know. Footballweekattheguardian.com. Uh, a game that wasn't that exciting. It was full of Man United. I mean, they, they got away with it again, Jordan. United, didn't they? Fernandes is great for the goal. Fulham's defending isn't. But it was it was a very early Saturday kickoff. No one was really ready. No, I, I think you're right. I, I don't really have any, any massive takeaways from this game apart from rival fans were actually of, of United but were actually glad that they won because the rationale being it keeps him there just a little bit longer because had he lost this match he, he would have been teetering on the brink surely of, of, of being fired they weren't great they got the win but we know there's, there's deeper rooted issues there at United than than just getting three points on the weekend one of the things that people always talk about when managers are coming under pressure is are the squad still fighting for him and you look at United's last six games, four of them, they've won in the last minute, which suggests the squad is still fighting. The other two, they've been totally pathetic and there's been no sign of fight whatsoever. So I don't know, is the answer. Like, are they still fighting for him? Like, you know, it's... 
Well, Harry Maguire is. I mean, he got a lot of knocks. I don't know if you want to get on your high horse, Barry. I sort of feel like he could have been concussed at some point during this game. I'm not really sure. But also, also that led him to playing a sort of Glenn Hoddle-esque 60-yard <laughs> pinpoint passes. Well, it's, it's kind of like that old story about some Partick Thistle midfielder who got a bang on the head and the physio shouts to the manager... He doesn't know who he is, and the manager said, "Well, tell him he's Pele." So you know, <laughs> Harry, Harry got the bang on the head. He, he did. It didn't look great now, and he was clearly in distress for quite a long time, or at, at various other points, at least one other point in the game. So, yeah, I think he probably should have been withdrawn, but he wasn't. And clearly, if he had forgotten who he was, the the physio told him he was Franz Beckenbauer. I think. Um, but it was a brilliant performance for him. And there seems to be this Harry Maguire redemption arc in, in process. And uh, I, for one, uh, think that's probably a good thing because he has been very unfairly maligned, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just less of an arc, more a redemption long diag, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 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 we a haven't discussed redemption yeah. arc. Um, we haven't mentioned Marcus Rashford being um, castigated for having a birthday party, having the temerity to celebrate uh, the year, his birthday after the defeat to Man City. Even Eric Ten Hag said it was a bad idea. I must confess, I've followed the story so little, I don't even know where he was. But you know, I, I believe he was out at a nightclub. and China White's. Obviously, he should have been at home um, wrapping himself in barbed wire and hitting himself with a big stick because... You're not allowed to go out after a, a defeat. Can't be seen in public. You sackcloth and ashes time. You know it's just performative nonsense. Yeah, you can't smile for five days. China whites, you say, Jordan? Was it? It was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, celebrating his Barry Tilly's birthday. I, I think the whole bashing there was a back and forth between Clinton Morrison and Paul Merson on this on the weekend and. The the, the the general consensus where everyone apart from Morrison was saying that he shouldn't be out, he's got to stay in, you cancel it. I think Neville kind of added to that as well over the weekend. I just think it's nonsense. I just think it's, it's his birthday, he's got to live his life. Or right, this idea that football players can't smile because they've lost a, a Manchester derby game. for, for well, how, how long does that last for? Is it four days he can't smile? Is it a week he can't smile? Is it a month? Can you smile to your children when you oh, come it's, home? It's, That's it's the just, question. It's just so Hi, dumb. Dada. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it's so dumb. Yeah. Uh, I did go to China Whites once. Um, and With Robert Hoot Lawrence there. With Liam Lawrence and Robert Hooth and one of the Keos. Can't remember which one. But they weren't in kit, so I couldn't tell you which of the Keos. <laughs> uh, Palace won 2-0 at Burnley. Um, Ian says, given Burnley's recent results, can the panel advise if Vincent is now officially a limited company? Um, which is a nice question, isn't it? Six successive home defeats for Burnley. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Like, I think people have stopped saying, oh, they'll be fine, Barry, haven't they? Uh, I certainly have. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, my concern for them here is, you know, they're still making mistakes. But I, I wasn't even particularly impressed with Palace, but they still won quite comfortably. <laughs> I, I don't think they played well at all. So that that is a major concern for Burnley. The, the only thing I'd say in their favour is they battered Palace in almost every stat and they were creating chances, but just couldn't score any of them. But to... to to lose at home to a Palace side that's missing a key player and that didn't play well, that is not a good sign. 
No. Uh, finally, Everton won, Brighton won. Um, Everton have gone really dicey, Jordan, and I'm all here for it. My only note on this game, Max, is that Lewis Dunk <laughs> seems to have turned into Prime Maldini, hitting uh, volleys off crossbars um, and Dunk taking free kicks as well. I don't know what's happened to Dunk uh, at, um, at Brighton, but he seems to have really evolved into more than just your kind of League Two, I can head it out the box type centre back, and I'm liking yeah. it. Yeah, no, I he's think, a brilliant. I think John Sarver's had a free kick in. Am I, am I being harsh? Am I, is that I unfair? think you are. Yeah, just because he's tall and called Dunk, I think you think it's sort of onomatopoeic that he would just maybe, him, maybe, you maybe, know, maybe. Um, but but he's yeah, I think he's always been quite a cultured centre back. Meanwhile, um, as I was trying to get John to talk about, but <laughs> Sorry. about Lewis Dunk. <laughs> Wilson, Sean Dyche has got Everton being Dyche. Yeah, I mean, they've gone back to... It's not quite a 4-4-2, is it? To just play slightly off Calvert-Lewin. But I mean, Calvert-Lewin being fit is a huge thing. I don't know if Dyche takes some credit for that. I know he did a lot of work in sort of analysing Calvert-Lewin's lifestyle to work out. I mean, I think he you know, he did things like looking at his car, whether there was something to do with you know, the way he pressed the accelerator that was causing injuries. I thought you, you really went through what was causing all the problems. But they, yeah, they look like what a dice side should look like now. Um, probably still slightly more open than he'd like, but they, I don't think we're thinking of Everton as relegation candidates now. Um, so you've got to give dice credit for that. I love this image of Dominic Calvert-Lewin being ruled out because he strained his calf while overtaking someone on the M6. <laughs> I just had this image of Sean Dice saying, I'm going to come around and see what you're driving. And... Dominic Calvert-Lewin is in like a tiny clown car or like on one of those tiny little bicycles with his knees up around his ears going, oh, maybe this is the this is the problem. Uh, anyway, that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll do uh, the FA Cup, Copa Libertadores, a bit on Emma Hayes as well in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Mainz have terminated Anwar El Ghazi's contract following the forward social media posts in connection with the Israel-Hamas conflict. Uh, he was suspended in October following an earlier comment, had been cleared to return to training on Monday after showing re- remorse. Uh, however, he posted a new statement on Wednesday that the German club said was incomprehensible. They would examine it from a legal perspective. My position remains the same as it was when this started, El Ghazi wrote. I'm against war and violence. I'm against the killing of all innocent civilians. I'm against all forms of discrimination. I'm against Islamophobia. I'm against anti-Semitism. I'm against genocide. I'm against apartheid. I'm against occupation. I'm against oppression. Uh, His post said, stand for what is right, even if it means standing alone. The loss of my livelihood is nothing when compared to the hell being unleashed on the innocent and vulnerable in Gaza. Hashtag stop the killing. Um, Archie is on the pod on Thursday. Uh, So we're going to talk about that story then. Fred says, could Chelsea's announcement about Emma Hayes derail their incredible train of success? Yeah. um, uh, The Chelsea manager is going to leave at the end of the season. Um, It looks very likely she's going to become the head of the United States women's national team. Um, Over 12 years, she's led her team to six WSL titles, five FA Cups, two Continental Cups, the Spring Series Community Shield, Champions League final, got an MBE and an OBE, uh, has been named best FIFA women's football coach in 2021 and WSL manager of the season on six occasions. It's big for the WSL this, Baz, isn't it? Yeah, um, I wouldn't necessarily say... Uh, it could derail their season, Chelsea season, the news of her imminent departure. But if anything, it could galvanise them and, and see them go on, an already brilliant team go on to 
greater things, I think should be a huge loss to the the WSL, just the English football landscape in general. Um, she's, you know, a very clever woman. She's very sensible. She's interesting to listen to, no matter what she's talking about, whether it's the women's game, the men's game, if she's doing co comms or working as a pundit. She's helped advance the women's game in this country. And she will be sorely missed, I suspect. I would love to go for a night out on the beer with Emma Hayes. I see, I suspect she would be tremendous company. Yeah, I mean, we've interviewed her a few times on the radio when, you know, before a big final saying, look, if you know if you win tomorrow, where will you be? And she'd be like, I'll just be on a park bench somewhere. So a general response. But yeah, good luck to her. Of course, uh, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly, we'll cover that in great detail. In the FA Cup first round, Chesterfield knocked out Portsmouth, uh, who were unbeaten uh, in League One this season, top of League One. Eighth tier, Craig Valley Paper Mills FC. Cray Valley PM equalised uh, to set up a replay at home to, uh, it says here, producer Joel's Charlton. I'm not sure that's how many people know them. And uh, it was an own goal, but it was forced over the line by Kyrell Lisby, son of Kevin Lisby. If Kevin Lisby is old enough to have children who are old enough to be semi-professional footballers, it's a worrying sign of how old we all are. In my mind, Kevin Lisby is about 16 and uh, uh, John says, I know it's niche, but a word on the 563 Horsham fans travelling from Sussex to Barnsley for a Friday night non-televised FA Cup first round game getting a draw. The Lardy Army had a lovely time. Uh, so, yeah, well done if your team got through. We smashed Bracknell 2-1. It was quite nerve-wracking. Um, and uh, you, know, you know who you have in the second round draw. And uh, let's talk about the Copa Libertadores. Lises Fluminese. Won the Libertadores thanks to a winner from a Brazilian with surely the least Brazilian name ever, John Kennedy. Is this a nickname like Pele or is there something else to do with it? Can any of you shed some light? Um, uh, Wilson. Uh, I think his parents just like John Kennedy. But they do this quite a lot in Brazil, don't they? They name name kids after sort of famous people from elsewhere. And producer Silas says Cristiano Ronaldo is named after Ronald Reagan, which I did not believe, but is apparently true. Well, it's, it's true. I, yeah. Nixon McLean, the uh, West Indies fast bowler, is named after uh, Nixon, the president. But yeah, it was a, it was a really kind of it's a really brutal game. So Fluminense, they they've got this coach Ginnis, who's uh, supposedly sort of reinventing football, playing it's a it's a form of possession football, but he calls it relationism rather than positionalism. So whereas Guardiola likes his players to sort of always be conscious of, of where they need to be to counter a counter. This is much more free-flowing. It often just looks like people crowding around the ball because he wants people close to the ball to give passing options. To be honest, it was pretty hard to see that in this game because it was it was such a sort of tense and uh, at times violent game. Uh, Jermaine Cano put Fluminense ahead uh, nine minutes before half-time with a really nice goal. And then Fluminense, slightly disappointed, he just sat back on it. And Bocca had much better the second half. Uh, Advincula, the right back, equalised 18 minutes to go. And you sort of thought then the momentum was with Bocca. And then Kennedy came off the bench, scored an absolutely brilliant winner. Ball just knocked down from the edge of the box and he smashes it first time in the bottom corner. And he then goes off on this celebratory run that takes him sort of you know, deep, deep, deep into the stand for which he gets a second booking. So he's sent off. Uh, but then seven minutes into injury time, at the end of the first half of extra time, uh, Bock have a player sent off Frank Fabra uh, for slapping uh, Nino. Like just really stupid, you know, cost Bocca the, the man advantage. And and from then on, Bocca didn't really 
didn't really offer much. So they, um, a lot of sort of pointless long range shots from the border, and and, and that was it. And Fluminense won two one for their their first ever Libertadores title. So congratulations to them. Yeah, and Marcelo becoming the fourteenth player to have won the Champions League and the Copa Libertadores. Uh, anyway, Harry Kane scored a hat trick in uh, the Classica. Uh, uh, as I said, Archie's on on Thursday uh, on halfway line goals. Um, uh, Michael says the divider between a halfway line goal being a great goal uh, or a goalkeeper howler just has to be whether the ball bounces. Uh, the pleasure of one of these is it's lofted over the keeper. If it bounces, it's proved the keeper should have got it. So credit to Beckham. And I was saying his halfway line goal gets more credit than others. His was in a good spot. Um, but while Alonso may be a great manager, manager, neither of his halfway line goals are great goals. Um, uh, in other news, the former Chelsea assistant, Henk Ten Carter, has rejected an Ajax job to star in a Dutch detective show. I mean, this is the sure, this is absolutely, I mean, nothing has been in Wilson's wheelhouse more than former people rejecting total football to go and be a detective in a TV programme. <laughs> well, I noticed Barry's audition for the... Uh... The, the Schleepers, as I believe it's called, this is the show. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm desperate to see it. But <laughs> what, what a what a yeah. You know, a man was the yeah former Chelsea assistant, former Barcelona assistant. So he's he's won league titles in England. He's won league titles in Spain. He's won Champions Leagues, and now he's playing a detective in a in in a crime drama. It's like what a what a life, what a career. I know. It's just great to have those two options going. Ah, oh, I just don't know which. Do you know which one to, which job am I going to take? Assistant at Ajax or, I mean, I would absolutely take Dutch Detective who will play the chief inspector in the series Sleepers for Videoland, 10 episodes. How great is that? Yeah, good luck to him. I mean, I really, I really hope we, we can, we can watch it on British TV. I, I mean, I am desperate to see it. It's a bit, a bit like when the English, when you're watching the English patient, I think I went to the cinema with my wife. Frank LeBeouf appears just as like a doctor. So obviously, like half the cinema are just like, "What's Frank LaBeouf doing there?" And the other half you, are like, you, "Sorry, Max, you hadn't met your wife when the English Patient was in the cinema." And also, Frank LaBeouf was very Frank LaBeouf hadn't even won the World Cup by the time the English Patient. The English Patient came out like nineteen ninety three or something, didn't it? What do I mean? I don't 90s. mean the English Patient. No, no, no. What do I mean? I don't mean the, the football patient. link of English Patient is that Kevin Waitley plays Hardy, the bomb disposal expert, and there will be a spoiler here, so, so skip the next thirty seconds if you haven't seen it. But when they're going through his effects. Uh, there's a Sunderland scarf in there, uh, which is because he's a Newcastle fan, and the crew put a Sunderland scarf in just as a, as a prank on him. But the badge on the scarf was only introduced in 1976. That's it. That's in the uh, that's in the, the football weekly book, which is still available apparently. And and that is the only interesting thing that happens in the English page. <laughs> oh, I think it's a the, good the, film. I like the it. The theory of everything. The theory of everything was the movie that I got muddled up. Um, Anyway, at the time, you know, he was a doctor. There was a patient. You know that that's that's where that's where the confusion came. After I got Wallander and and Van der Volk knocked, you know, I heard that line. And I said, "Oh God, what's he done? What?" Oh, yeah, dear. absolute <laughs> disgrace, isn't it? Um, well done to Arsenal under 18s um, who couldn't play their game away to Brighton <laughs> because the team bus travelled to Bournemouth instead of Brighton. Which yesterday on the radio, Barry and I did the text topic. When have you? 
accidentally when have you gone to Bournemouth by accident and it turns out a lot of people have more than you would imagine <laughs> Duff says the depiction of Fabio Capello in the play Dear England bears an uncanny and unsettling resemblance to Barry in a wig doing an Italian accent let's not get Barry on an Italian accent <laughs> oh god what a mistake to make her it'll be one of those won't it and here we finish the pod with Gary Bertels um, Rob says hi huge fan I've been listening to you guys since the interim aka Matt Started hosting. Uh, thanks, Rob. After listening to your most recent podcast, I couldn't help but message you guys. I'm Gary Bertel's window cleaner. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's a top bloke and regularly makes me an oat milk. He doesn't drink cow's milk coffee each time I'm at, I'm at his house and lets me use his loo. Surely everyone lets the window cleaner use the loo, don't they? I keep his price cheap with being a big Nottingham Forest fan. I have to charge him as my work partner is a Derby County fan and won't agree to giving Gary a free clean each month. Next time I see him, I'll ask him about his £200 purchase of his Guns N' Roses record. I'm still hoping one day he invites me out with the Forest Legends and Sean Dyche for brunch. Well, good luck, Rob. Meanwhile, Dan says, uh, Hi, Max Barry and team. I live in Long Eaton, Derbyshire, uh, the home of Long Eaton United, the team at Nottingham Forest famously signed the carpet fitter Gary Bertels from. I live on the main road and often see a bloke who looks like Gary Bertels walking past my house. I know Gary still lives in the area, but I can't be sure it's him. I once saw potential Gary Bertels at the train station, but the only person with me was my wife's American cousin. Although he's a fan of British football, Nottingham Forest players of the late 70s, early 80s was a bit beyond him when i see gary bertles on tv i think it definitely does look like that bloke i haven't i haven't asked the man if he is gary bertles and if he answered me the only potential answers are yes or no and i don't have a follow-up to either of these questions i have asked around and it does seem increasingly likely that it's him well dan good luck well what dan should do now is say um are you Gary Bertels? And if he says yes, then go, oh, could you recommend a window cleaner? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely way to end. Uh, that'll do for today. Thank you, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Barry. Thanks. Thanks, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Silence Great. Our executive producer is Max Sarnison. We'll be back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.